Welcome to The Marissa Morrison Show, where you'll discover your inner power to create the life you desire. I'm Marissa, and I began my business as a 19-year-old, single mom, broke, and in college. Today, I run a seven-figure business that teaches entrepreneurs how they can have it all without the frustration and overwhelm. Abundance, peace, joy, and overflowing love are available to you. And I'm here to show you the way to a richer, more vibrant life that radiates into your business, bringing you higher profits and profound fulfillment. You see, when you connect with the miracle that is you, you become an unstoppable force that doesn't need to push for success. Consider this an invitation to step into a new world of possibilities, empowering perspectives, and radical breakthroughs. Buckle up and get ready to see the world around you in an entirely new light. This is your life, and you don't need to wait to experience your dreams. It all starts now. So here we are, just having taken the kids out of school, and we are getting ready to homeschool them. And in doing so, looking for the best education with multi-sensory curriculum, and we're moving into this. The world, two weeks later, shuts down. (laughs) Little did we know that we were going to have to homeschool them either way. (laughs) It's actually really funny. People will ask me, when did you start homeschooling your kids? And I'll say, oh, 2020. And they're like, oh, yeah, me too. You know, like we all had to get into that. And, you know, they think that it's because of the shutdown or the pandemic. But actually, as you know, it was so much deeper than that. It really was what our kids needed. And so life was transitioning. And the world was transitioning. The world on a global level was experiencing a fracture, a trauma. But within all trauma, we can allow it to become a setback or it can be an opportunity for growth, a possibility. And so everyone on the planet experienced this shock, the shockwave that went through all of us. Life changed the way that we spent time together, the way that we showed up and gave service to the world, the way that we went to school and went to work, everything changed. But little did I know that this was a whisper in comparison to the storm that was up ahead in my own life. And don't get me wrong, the pandemic was certainly a shock for all of us. But 2020 ran much deeper for me. Now, as we are going into this, one thing that I want to encourage you to do, as I always am encouraging you to do, is to release judgment, to let go, to be present, to just take a deep breath, release your thoughts as you breathe out, and just be present with me here. One thing that I want to let you know is I'm going to be vulnerable in this episode, as I always am, (laughs) and I'm going to share some things that you may disagree with. But I want you to gain the most from this episode. And in order to do so, you have to let go of the expectation that other people should align with your perspective or your preferences. This is what we all know as judgment, right? And judgment is not a vibration that attracts your dreams. Judgment is to say that another person should act be, and do in a way that aligns with your principles, your values, and meaning of life. But we all have free will, 
And so when we look at others and we say, you should act this way, we are, in our own minds, removing the idea that they have free will. We are dehumanizing them because we are vastly unique from each other, yet we are also the same. But in our personality, we have many different experiences and different exposures to different cultures, different upbringings, different setbacks and traumas. Who we are on a fundamental level is the same. But within our brain and the way that we express and form is very unique. And we must honor each other exactly where they are. And when it comes to manifestation, a lot of times we like to focus on the 3D. So we like to focus on the material manifestations, which is wonderful and a beautiful experience. But ultimately, manifestation is a deeper practice. And the manifestation that we experience begins within our body. And so it is through the rhythms of our heart, the emotions that we feel, that we express energy. And we are a walking, living, breathing, energetic field. And we're always emitting energy. And what this does is it releases biochemicals within our body. And as we all know, stress is a huge impact on our health. And so what we are thinking within our mind definitely impacts our nervous system. And this, when COVID came, I knew. And so within my own mind, I played this game in my consciousness of, you know what? I don't believe that COVID exists, just in my own mind. I wasn't casting judgment on anyone else. Of course, I was still honoring and respecting all practices, keeping my distance, just a game for me personally. And I said, you know, it doesn't exist. It doesn't mean I ignored what was happening. It just means that in my own reality, in my own mind, for me, it was not real. And this became a household comment within our home. And as you know, I have been raised in a very holistic home when it comes to nutrition, especially as a child, all the things that my parents went through to try to manage me and my ADHD and and my (laughs) rebellion and my wild spirit. And so I understood the body from a holistic perspective. You know, not only my childhood, also the pre-med background that I had going into the bodybuilding, and then coming into all of the studying and research that I had been doing over the last two years at that time on self-development, on the mind, on the body. And so I understood that my mind was going to be really powerful in this. And I also understood vaccines. And so I decided for myself and my family that we were not going to get the vaccine. Devin and I were on the same page. I did not have to convince him in any way. We decided this together. And we practice all of the safety that we could, of course, but within our minds, we maintained that we were whole, that we were not at risk, that there was no danger. And to this day, I never got COVID. No one in my family got COVID, as a matter of fact. And in addition to that, we were traveling, we were flying, We actually hosted two retreats in that year, and no one in that retreat got COVID either. So we were hosting a retreat, let me think, where was it, in Utah, and later that year, it was in New Orleans. 
And so, of course, we made sure that everyone had a negative test. And like I said, we definitely practiced as much safety precaution as possible. Everyone wore masks. You know, we did the things. But ultimately, it was our mind that preserved our health, that kept us strong and prevented us getting COVID. And I firmly believe that our mind directly impacts our health immensely. I mean, it is a double-sided coin here. Your health impacts the brain function and your brain function impacts your health. And so as we're going throughout this year, we're getting ready to host these retreats. And at this point of the story and where I'm telling you right now, we had not yet hosted the retreat. We were on the prior side of that. We had just taken the kids out. We are in, I believe it was June. I am in Utah. I am shooting a wedding. And as you know, if you listen to the last chapter, I was seeing my dad every day, very close to my dad. He's doing good. He's walking around. He's eating food. He has Parkinson's, so he has a walker. He's a little forgetful, but who he is is still there, and he's doing great. Well, the day before I come home, my mom calls me, and my mom is always the type of person that doesn't tell me all the details. Like, if something isn't going right, she's not going to tell me everything. She's going to she's gonna kind of sugarcoat it. She's going to soften the blow. And so she's just saying, you know, dad isn't eating. I'm like, well, what do you mean dad's not eating? And, you know, I'm thinking that it's really not so bad. Well, when I get home, dad is laying in a bed, a hospital bed at home with hospice. And if you know anything about hospice, they are the ones that generally will come when it's the last few days or close to passing. And so here we are. My dad is not talking. If I remember, he whispered to me that he loved me. But there wasn't much more than that. It was, you know, he was just there. And day by day, still not eating or drinking, when he would drink, he was aspirating, I believe it was his lungs. And so when he would drink water, it would go into his lungs. So he literally, like even just a little bit of water, he would start coughing violently. He couldn't, he couldn't have water or food. And so he was getting thinner and thinner. His face was changing and he was not eating. And so it was five days later that my dad passed. When I was a little girl, my dad would sing to me, oh, you are my sunshine. It kind of goes, oh, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. Oh, you make me happy when skies are gray. And so I was showering and he hadn't passed yet. And I remember feeling like I want to have this last memory with him where I am laying in bed with him and I am singing to him. And so that day I laid in the bed and I put my arms around him. He was very stiff and he was just there. And I sang to him that song. And shortly after that, I was in the room and I had left into the living room. All of my sisters were there. And the hospice lady comes out and she says, he's passed. It was the middle of the day and I was devastated. But 
I am so thankful that I had restored the relationship, that I had seen him every day. I remember even before he passed because I was blessed to know that it was coming. So emotionally, I was able to prepare myself versus it being an immediate happening, which in some regard, it was immediate. You know, I had a five-day window to prepare. (laughs) And, you know, I remember thinking to myself, well, at least I've seen him every day. You know, I have no regrets in our relationship. There's nothing that I can say about, I wish I would have done this. And so that gave me peace. And I think ultimately that was how I was able to let go of him in such a beautiful way because I had done the things that resulted in no regret. And for you right now, looking at your relationships, all the little things that we argue about, all the things that we get caught up in, my gosh, they don't freaking matter. Just like I was talking about earlier, the dehumanization, like the arguments are because we want to be right or we want to be heard. We want to get our point across or we think things should be a certain way. And sometimes things are worth having these discussions and, you know, making sure, you know, sometimes it is worth having that deep discussion and coming to a point of agreement. But most of the time, there's so much that we can just let go because the love in that relationship is so much more valuable than the argument and the being right. And so from that point, I wrote my dad's obituary. Actually, kind of funny, my my dad was, you know, he was 93 whenever he passed. When I was a little girl, I remember being really afraid that he was going to pass because I realized how old he was. And I just was like, I don't know if my kids are going to even get to see him. And Being that I was 30 when he passed, I just remember feeling so grateful that my kids knew him, that he knew my kids, and that he lived long enough to see me be successful. You know, I'm thankful that he didn't pass when I had just gotten pregnant. I had a lot to be thankful for. And during this time, the last like year of his life, he continued to say, make sure this is included in my obituary. Make sure this is included. Oh, do do you have this? Sometimes he'd say, do you still have that list? You know, he was very much wanting to make sure that his life was acknowledged. He was a very successful man. He did wonderful things in his life. In fact, he was alive when schools were desegregated in Ascension Parish, which he wrote the plan to bring the two races together. And so he made a really big impact in our community. He was a developer. He developed many of the neighborhoods within the city, and he was on the school board. Gosh, he ran for senator. You know, he he ran in big circles. He was a powerful man. And at the peak of his business, he had 13 different locations. And so just an incredible human being. He was a good man with good intention. And so I wrote his obituary. I spoke at his funeral. And I just remember when we were walking away, they put his tomb, it was in one, it wasn't in the ground. It was one of those like out of the ground, almost like a building, but all of the caskets are in it. And I just remember they put him in there and everyone is walking away and I go back and I just put my hand on his tomb and I just cry and I say, daddy, daddy, daddy. And I just let myself feel all of the emotions for the next week. I really went into every emotion 
I looked at all the pictures and I really just released him. I let it go. And so here we are still coaching. I was hosting the group coaching calls twice a week within the masterclass. And so how this looked is people would sign up for the call and they would submit all the information before. And I would have everyone muted and each person one by one would get unmuted. So I could talk to them one-on-one. Everyone could hear the conversation. So everyone's benefiting because we're talking about things that maybe they need help with too, or things they didn't think that they needed, but hearing and learning gave them inspiration just from listening in. But I could talk to my students one-on-one. And during this time, literally the week that he passed, I was still doing the calls. I was still showing up. And so I had a lot to learn still in who I was and honoring myself and my own emotions and taking care of myself first. I was still in a sense, people-pleasing. I was still trying to keep my students happy instead of saying, hey guys, I need to take space. And really and truly, when we take space, when we put ourselves first, we're always going to show up better for others. So here we are planning the retreat, moving on from this experience. I am preparing for the retreat and my family, my kids, my husband, we're always, we're pretty active people. We love to be outside in nature. And growing up, Devin was very athletic and he would, you know, be riding the bike on the mountain where it just drops down on both sides. And so we went to a skate park. If you know, like it's concrete, there's like these ridges and these bowls where you can skateboard and do all these cool tricks. And my son was really into skateboarding at the time, my oldest. And Devin has the bike and he's dropping in the bowls and he's doing his thing, looking good and grooving. And the sun is setting. And in the bowl that he was doing the tricks in, there were little kids in there. And so he didn't want to do the tricks there because, you know, the sun was setting and he didn't want anyone to get hurt. And so from there, he moves over to this other bowl that he had not dropped into yet, but it looked familiar. It was about 15 feet deep. And when he went to drop in, this is two months after my dad passed, okay? When he went to drop in, his tire never caught. There was a lip on the edge. And essentially, this bowl was meant for you to be in it already and then to start to ride it. So when he dropped in, his tire never caught. And he went headfirst for the concrete with his bike, 15 feet. And my daughter was watching because he was wanting to show us the tricks. And, you know, we we just were shocked. He got up like a champion. He kind of was dazed. And he even picked up his bike and passed it out. And he climbed out. And people were watching. So, of course, you know, he's going to present the best possible thing. And he just was like, I think I really hurt myself. And he had a huge goose egg on the right front forehead. And we took him to the hospital that night. They ran some tests. It was awful service. I mean, we got there at 9 p.m. and we didn't leave until 5 a.m. And they told us that he was fine, that there was no bleed, that everything was fine. Well, we get home at about 5.30. We go to sleep. At 9 a.m., he wakes up in agonizing pain, almost screaming. I mean, just in so much pain. He starts sweating. And at the time, his parents lived two doors down, 
which I loved. They lived really close to us. And, and so here he is in so much pain. He's sweating. His clothes are wet. He's like, you know, making noises. I mean, he's in so much pain. And I'm not sure what to do because the doctors told us that he was fine. And I'm like, well, maybe it's just the pain. So I need to go get like pain pills, you know? So I went to the store. I got that. When I come back, his parents are with him. He's naked in the tub and he's throwing up. His mom looks at me and is like, something is not right. You need to take him back to the hospital. And after that experience the night before, I was like, oh gosh, I don't know if we want to go to that hospital. So we go to a different hospital. I get him. We're going. He's not responding to me. He's, you know, a little bit here and there, but he's almost like he's drunk. You know, he's just not, he's not there. And so we get him in, he's in a wheelchair. We're taking him in. The doctor's like, we're going to go ahead and do another CT. It was a smaller hospital. So thankfully they were able to get him in right away. After the CT, the doctor comes in and looks at me and says, we're going to have to like poke a little hole in his skull and we're just going to have to like drain the blood. And of course, in my mind, I'm like, are you sure there's no other way? Like, is there a medication he could take? Like, is there something else that we can do? He's like, no, this is not, there's no option. So we get in the ambulance. We're going to the hospital that we were at the night before because it's the main hospital in the city. And we get there. His mom is running to the ambulance. I mean, this is like a scene out of a movie, you guys. We get in there and there's three different doctors. There could have been more all around him, people on computers, things attached to him. And I'm talking to the doctor and he's showing me the scan on his phone because he had downloaded it. And he's showing me the bleed. And he said, you know, in 30 years, I haven't seen someone survive or bleed this bad. This is probably the worst bleed I've seen on someone alive. And I'm asking him again, well, is there anything else that we can do? (laughs) He's like, no, there is nothing else that we can do. And so they're running him down the hall and I'm running next to the bed. And Devin is still, surprisingly, such a champion. He's able to give me a kiss. (laughs) I give him a kiss, and I just feel like this could be the last kiss that I get. I don't even really understand fully what's happening. They take him through, the door shut, and I'm just sitting in the waiting room. And only I and his mother could be in the waiting room because we're in COVID. So like, (laughs) you know, that was the other thing here. And so the doctor comes out and he describes to me what they're going to have to do. And it was not a little hole. From the center, if you can imagine the hairline, the center of his head to his ear, they cut open the skull and drain the blood and put it back. He had screws in his head and I wasn't even able to stay. They sent me home. (laughs) And so I'm staying at my mom's. I didn't want to be alone. You know, she had just lost her husband, my dad. And, you know, here I am laying in bed and at 1030, I get a call and it's Devin. When he woke up, he didn't know what happened. He didn't know where he was. He was looking for me and he was all alone. He couldn't have anyone there with him. And so for the next two weeks, he stayed in the hospital and I was able to see him for two hours a day. And that was, that was very challenging. You know, I've always been a believer that things are going to be okay. And so I just believe that, but he was able to walk very quickly. He was talking. He was, he was normal. He didn't lose the aspect of who he was. And 
his movements were still there. And so we were just so thankful that he was alive and that he was still him and that his normal functions were still happening, that he was still capable. And so just as Devin is such a go-getter, driven, and you know, doesn't miss a beat, the doctor told him not to open his own doors, not to lift, not to run, <laughs> which is hard for him. He went from doing everything and being so active to not being able to do anything. And so he went right into working and he was still editing his videos. Because remember at this time, we're still servicing wedding clients and fashion clients all around the world and he had work to do. And so we're working and he seems normal. Everything seems fine, you know, and we're still planning the retreat, which was a month later. (laughs) And he's communicating that he's fine. The doctors are telling us that he's fine to go and be released to normal activity. And so we're like, okay, we host the retreat. Everything seems fine. And little by little, over the next 18 months, things start to fall apart. His ability to focus at the computer changes. His ability to manage stimulus changes. His ability to read faces changes. His responses, his preferences, his thought patterns, pretty much everything about his personality changes. Of course, the essence, the soul still remains the same. Devin is still Devin, but so much of the interactions with him were changing. And it got to the point that he was miserable. Our entire family didn't understand what to do. I was at Christmas one year, and I think it was that same year as 2020, and I was talking to my nephew, who's like my age, because you know my dad has <laughs> had me at such an older age, and he is a physical therapist. And so we're talking about the brain and things like that. And he's like, no one talked to you about the effects. Like usually after a certain amount of time, they're, you know, they are who they are, and that's that. And I just was like, no, nobody told me to look out for things. No one talked to us about this. And that was the first kind of wake-up call. We went to a few different doctors. We did a few different procedures and practices for him. And we had a hyperbaric chamber in our bedroom, which forces oxygen into the cells of the body, which, of course, brings more nutrients into the brain, gives it more resource, gives it more of what it needs. And over time, it is supposed to make a pretty big difference. They have lots of really amazing success stories many different illnesses and hurts and aches and pains are gone oftentimes with this hyperbaric chamber. And so we're in there and, you know, here we are, I think it is 2021, December of 2021. So almost exactly 18 months and leading into January of 2022, we were just so desperate, so eager for change. Devin didn't want to do the video anymore. He had already chosen to walk away and he was looking for something different. And so I was really pressing into my faith, reading the Bible. I was looking up different Hebrew terminology, like what does hell actually mean? Really digging into the text and the language and also the context of what was happening at that time. Because oftentimes we read spiritual text like it's written today, but ultimately it was written thousands of years ago. And so the context and the meaning is different. 
Also, the Bible was written 50 years after Jesus passed. And so I'm just really digging into all of this. Devin is reading a book titled Ramtha, and he's sharing it with me. And when we share books, it's as if we're reading the books together because we share so much of everything that we're reading. And so it's starting to line up. The things that he's saying and the things that I'm discovering are starting to line up. I had a notebook of all the different things that these words meant, the different meanings behind them. I was really, really discovering so much at this time. And it was like in an instant, in a snap of a finger, I woke up. And it was like everything changed, but yet nothing around me changed. My beliefs were the same, but yet they were so much deeper. And I saw myself, I saw the world around me in an entirely different way. I saw businesses. I remember feeling so different just about the billboards and branded signs that I would see. Things felt so silly, (laughs) I remember thinking. And just seeing the way that humanity had formed reality and the way that we were living and the world in which we're in just was so vastly more detailed and more understanding, more compassion, more oneness. Everything was awake. It was like parts of my brain were not awake yet. And in an instant, everything woke up. In a very real sense, I transcended self. I saw things so differently. When I would journal, these beautiful writings began to pour out of me and I began to feel differently about my career and about the path of my life. And I began writing. I began playing music. I began painting. I started doing so many things. I started to see seasons and holidays and the days of the weeks and the patterns of humanity and society in such a different way. I gave myself ultimate freedom because I no longer felt like I was Marissa. I felt like a being. I felt like a soul. I wasn't flesh and blood. I was spirit and I was awake. And so in this space, you know, when a spiritual awakening happens, oftentimes we're still living the same life. The pattern is still there and the responsibilities and obligations are still there. And so for me, I was like, okay, what what do I do with all this? Because I'm awake in a new way that I I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't looking for this, but it happened. And so what do I do now? And so I just began to tune in to the voice within. I began to trust and listen. And I began to take record of what I was experiencing in my journal. And very much of what I was doing in my photography career, I led with the deeper meaning of I'm documenting marriage. This is so precious. You know, I didn't have pictures of my parents being married and I'm preserving this for families. And while that deep, rich meaning was there, I also saw how much was going into the design and how much I wanted weddings with rich design because it was beautiful. And oftentimes when I was talking to the brides, they only wanted the design to get it featured or to impress their guests for their experience. And it's not that any of this is good or bad. It's simply that it was with the intention of a material expectation. And many times with the approval of peers, 
the ability to say, you know, sharing wedding images immediately. And oftentimes within the wedding industry, there is this desire to get the hero shot, you know, and many times this can come at the sacrifice of the experience, even though the clients want it. And even though they're on board with it, you can see how it's shifting the focus from the intimacy and the love to nailing a certain photo. And again, this isn't bad or good. I just could see that this was not necessarily the experience I desired anymore. I didn't want to find my identity in being a photographer and creating, you know, beautiful imagery that I then would post online and would seek approval. And so I began to see my limitations that I didn't see before. And I wanted to let those limitations go. I also saw how, you know, when it comes to building a business, I really had developed a solid strategy on building and scaling a business, especially a creative business. And it was very impactful for my students. Although I did take account that some students were wildly successful and others still applying the same strategy, still trying and seeking that success, were still struggling. And so I now had this deeper understanding of I could see why. It all made sense now. And so while the strategy, yes, is important and vital to success, ultimately it's the person driving the car that makes it to the destination or that gets stuck on the side of the road. And so I began to see where when students on these group coaching calls were asking me, look at my website, what do you think about this? I was projecting more of my own thoughts versus allowing them to discover their uniqueness. And yes, I was always striving to help them find their inner strength and their uniqueness, but now I could see it in a different way. It wasn't the same. And so my students were looking for this old Marissa. They were looking for a Marissa that didn't exist anymore. She was gone. It was over. And there was so much judgment that they were seeking. They wanted me to judge their work. And that is perfectly fine. But I didn't want that experience anymore because it brought me into that frequency. And so I stopped offering the calls. I pulled away a little bit. I really got into my center. I spent more time with myself and really found this, this ability to be at peace beyond understanding. I found this ability to have acceptance of all things and to be in love with my life, to be in love with nature and all things around me and to just be in awe that all of it exists, that I get to be here. And so my purpose began to shift because while I really enjoyed coaching others, at that point I had coached entrepreneurs for seven years, but I could sense that I was being called into something new that I was going to be able to take everything that I had learned over the last seven years of coaching entrepreneurs and expand it into this beautiful manifestation of awakening for others. And so I followed that call. I began to write my book. I got 30 pages in and I realized, okay, we're going to put this on pause because I could feel within my being that there was something else to do, that there was something else to follow. And so that's where I am today. 
made a major pivot in my business and our lives. Devin had been negotiating with himself back and forth. And when you are experiencing a spiritual awakening, the ego is still there, which is the identity and oftentimes the old identity. (laughs) And it's going to say, wait, but this was like the safe path. And your soul's like, it's okay. I'm here. Remember, there's so much more for you. And so I myself experienced this negotiation of the spiritual awakening and knowing where I was being pulled, but also the ego that's like, but remember, there's still really special meetings. So I would say, okay, I'm going to do five weddings a year. So I was booking still weddings and I was negotiating with myself. Devin also was feeling led to being a rancher, to supporting animals in a different way of life for us and for also to support our community. And so we're negotiating with ourselves. We're kind of getting pulled back and forth. We had just moved into this gorgeous home in this prestigious neighborhood and we were on 0.37 of an acre and Devin's wanting, you know, hundreds of acres. (laughs) And so what we did was we sold everything. We sold the boutique hotel. We got out of the gallery and I decided to stop offering weddings. I moved out of the wedding photography masterclass, although I was still in the Facebook group responding to all the posts as I had done for years. And I was still hosting lives. So I shifted from the group coaching into hosting lives and still being of service to them. And so we're making this shift. We sold everything and that took time. It took time all the way up until the end of 2022 was whenever we finally sold the boutique hotel. And we also sold our home, another property that we owned. And we purchased where we live now, which we're on 60 acres. And we started to invest in animals and equipment and all the things that come with clearing land and having a a ranch. And we are currently building my mom a home on this property. So she's going to have her own home and my office is in there, which the office is kind of separate from the home, but it's within the same structure. And so this is where we are today. I feel myself being led more into what I was doing at the retreats, which is speaking and touching the soul and helping others have this spiritual awakening so that they can see for themselves all that they are, you know? And the ego wants to be special and say, oh, well, I'm enlightened. But at the core of it, we are all special. We are all unique, but yet ordinary. Both are true. We are magic. We are miracle but yet we are what has always been and what will always be. And so in this space, I am not only with speaking, but feeling led to write books. In this spiritual awakening, as I began to write, what I would write was so profound. And in the gallery, I'll never forget, I would start to put these texts next to the images and people would go up with their phones and take photographs of the text. And they say, is there a book with this? Is there anywhere that I can get this? And they wanted the text, the art story, more than they wanted the image. (laughs) And that was a really big sign for me from the universe that my writing, there was something special there. And I have also been the most impacted when I read books. And so naturally, this call and this urge to begin writing a book is within me. And I have already started to write my first book, which I'm believing will come out next year. And if it's the following year, I am surrendered to that timing and I trust that it will be what it needs to be. And so this is where I am, beginning to look for opportunities and create opportunities to bring us together, 
to be together, to speak to your heart, to write what you need to read. And so that you can have your own awakening, your own transcendence so that you become unstoppable, unshakable, a master manifester of all of your desires, just like I have experienced. And so in the coming months, I am going to be opening opportunities for us to work together. This will be a very limited time offer because I'm not going to be coaching forever. My main vision is speaking and writing. That is my deeper inner purpose that I know that I'm being led to. But in this pursuit, I love working with people. I love nothing more than having heart to hearts and helping other people discover the magic within so that they can finally fall in love with their lives, so they can have vibrancy in life with rich relationships, abundant profits, and profound fulfillment. That is my mission. That is my purpose. And so, and it's not that I'm special because there are many other light workers out there who are speaking beautiful messages of possibility. And in our world, we need many light workers. And so if you're feeling led to this call as well, I want you to know that it is beautiful and that there's so much room at the table. We all are here to elevate consciousness and each of us make a massive ripple effect beyond the analytical mind's understanding. And so this is the path that I am on. And I have shifted everything in order to follow my heart, in order to follow my soul. And I encourage you to do the same. So today we're on the ranch. I'm getting ready to open the doors for incredible opportunities for us to work together. There are going to be a variety of different options to meet you exactly where you are. And when I announce these options next month, and I may be actually close to announcing it when you listen, to be honest, but you will know the path that is right for you. You will know very clearly. There will be no confusion. You will know which option is best for you, and it's going to empower you to manifest your wildest dreams. And so this is my life. This is where I am today. And I'm so thankful for everything that I've been through. There's nothing that I would change. I can see how I came into this form, into this body to experience all of this. And all of the pain and suffering, all of the trauma that I experienced, really, it's just an illusion. Because no matter what, I've always been whole. No matter what, I have been me. And nothing in my outer reality can harm me ever. It's only when I give it permission within my mind to do so. And so this is the message of this chapter, is that you are always whole. You're always right where you need to be. Even when things feel hard, even when you feel stuck, you're never stuck. And it's only hard because you're giving it that power. You are unlimited potential. There is nothing that you cannot do. It is all about how much you connect to the consciousness that is within you. Because that is pure love, acceptance, surrender, and possibility. And it all begins with you. And so I just hope that you are empowered in my story to know that when it's time to pivot, you can pivot. That you're allowed to change your mind. You're allowed to follow your heart. And when you do, you will live a life beyond your wildest imagination. And what I mean by that is oftentimes our ego and the analytical mind is what looks out in the world and says, ooh, I could do this. I could be that. But when you connect to your soul, the deeper inner voice of love, 
my golly, there is so much more beyond what the analytical mind could perceive. And so I just encourage you to tap into that, to spend time with yourself, to give yourself compassion and love, and to honor yourself right where you are, knowing that it is all building. There is something expanding within you. It's evolution, quite literally. Every single moment, your point of consciousness is moving forward in a different dimension into a different moment. And so I want you to know that you are so loved, that you are seen, and there's never a moment that you are not carried, that you are not held and nourished. And it's all about how sensitive and open and receptive you are to this love that you will allow more for yourself. Because remember, it all begins and ends with you. I love and adore you, and I cannot wait for our journey together. We're already on it, but I know there's so much more up ahead. I see you right where you are, and you, my love, are doing a wonderful job. You've got this. Here we are again at the conclusion of another episode. I'm sending you a virtual hug, and I want you to know I am so proud of you for staying committed to your dreams. It's all possible, and it begins with you. If you'd like to discover more support, visit marissamorrison.net, where I have created opportunities for you to connect, expand, and to evolve into your greatest potential. Until next time, friend, I'm thinking of you and sending you all my love.